It's a mailbag episode of Locked On Braves. Is it time to panic? What do you do with Marcelo Zuna? What's the situation with the injured players of Kirby Yates, Mike Soroka, and Ozzy Albies? What can we expect from them when they return? We'll answer all those questions and more on today's episode of Locked On Braves. So let's get into it. You are Locked On Braves, your daily Atlanta Braves podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, and welcome back to Locked On Braves, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta, where we cover your favorite Atlanta sports teams each and every day. I'm your host, Jake Mastriani. You can follow me on Twitter at shortstopball. Check out my bio there to see where I am covering the game of baseball, including the Atlanta Braves in written form over at tomahawktake.com. Also, make sure you follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On underscore Braves, where you can be part of the podcast, as you will be today, as I'll be answering your questions. Send in any questions, comments, or feedback that you have there at Locked On underscore Braves. Make sure you subscribe to us on YouTube. Hit that thumbs up button and that notification bell helps out the show a ton. Great participation on yesterday's video. I wanted to call that out. We had over 50 comments and just good conversations, great comments all throughout. I really do appreciate that. Love the conversation in the comment section on YouTube, so please keep that up. And thanks for making Lockdown Braves your first listen of the day. We post episodes daily, five days a week, Monday through Friday, and are free and available on all platforms. And I just want to talk about it again because Monday's episode, I put a lot of thought and passion into that one. If you haven't listened to it, go back and give it a listen. You know, After that series against the Mets, really just had a lot of Thoughts. There's a lot of things I'm seeing with this Braves team that I've seen throughout the year, um, and I really just wanted to verify those through stats. So I, I went deep into the analytics and really just confirming what we all see is that this team struggles to put the ball in play. They strike out too much. Um, it's an all-or-nothing type of offense, and pitchers throwing too many pitches and walking too many batters. Those are the primary weaknesses of this Braves team. wrote a follow-up article on that on TomahawkTake.com if you want to read that as well but again i would encourage you to go back and listen to monday's podcast a lot of good stuff in there and again a lot of great comments in the comment section on youtube as well if you want to be a part of that discussion but today's podcast we're going to be taking your questions this will simply be a mailbag podcast we will preview tuesday night's game at the end of this but i'm going to be answering your questions on here and got a wide variety of questions some great questions always appreciate you sending those in so let's jump into those questions first one coming from andrew forrester says is it time to worry being seven games back especially since the mets have 21 games in september again against teams under 500 so answer the question of this for the division yes you should be worried i i think there's a very slim chance the braves win the division at this point. There's 52 games left. You have to play seven games better than the Mets over that stretch just to tie them in the division. And right now the Mets hold a, a series lead in the season at 8-4. to four. Now the Braves have seven games left with the Mets. You have to pretty much win all of those games, at least six of them, to have a chance. And as we talked about on Monday's podcast, the Mets are just a nightmare matchup 
for what the Braves' weaknesses are. So, yes, you should be very concerned about the division at this point. I've been very optimistic up until this past series that the Braves have a chance to come back and win this, got within half a game. But at this point, you're seven games back, 52 games to go. Chances on winning the division right now are very slim. However, as I talked about in yesterday's podcast and in the article I wrote, that doesn't mean the season is over. The Braves are still in the top wild card spot. They're still in a great position to reach the postseason. They're up five games on a postseason spot. So for the postseason, there's no worry there. You still have 29 games left, do the Braves, against teams below 500. You figure if they win at least 20 of those games, that puts you at 84 wins. Even if you just win eight of your other 23 games, which come against teams above 500, that's 92 wins. That should be more than good enough to at least claim one of the wild card spots, if not the top wild card spot. The games that become very important down the stretch here are actually the games against the Phillies. The Braves are now closer to the Phillies in the standings than they are the Mets. As the, the Phillies have been on fire lately, and you have seven more games left against the Phillies, including a four-game road trip to Philadelphia towards the end of September. So those games become very, very important at this point in terms of not just getting a wild-card spot, but which wild-card spot you get. Do you get those three home games in the wild-card round, which become very important now for the Atlanta Braves? That's really what their motivation and their new goal should be. Again, you're seven games back in the division. I think you have to put that out of your mind and start playing for that top wild card spot so you get those games at home, whether they come against the Phillies or the Padres or the Cardinals or the Brewers, whoever you play, you want to get that game at home. Next question comes from Chris Schaff. He says, great breakdown on the Braves' last podcast, talking about the one on Monday. Says, do you believe the Braves can change their approach and get hot again in time since it's only August? They must learn they can be better and pick themselves up again and be the Braves again. So to answer the question, and again, on yesterday's podcast, we talked about some of those changes in approach that need to happen. Cutting down on your swing, putting the ball in play more, you know, swinging and missing less. They have the worst whiff rate in all of baseball. It's hard to change those things in the middle of a season, but I really think it just comes down to focus. We saw it for a lot of these Braves players in the postseason last year and I think it's just having that focus of each at bat I don't think they bring that same focus every time they come to the plate and I think that's really what it's going to take is every time you go to the plate it needs to be a battle you need to be completely locked in they should be playing playoff baseball from here on out like I said the division is pretty much lost at this point but you still have a lot to fight for to get that top wild card spot so you get that home field advantage in the first round. They should be acting like these are postseason games. They should have been acting like that in the Mets series when they had a chance to get back in the division. But for the rest of the season, every game needs to be needs to be treated as a postseason game. They need to be locked in to every at-bat. So, yes, I think they can, Chris, to answer your question, and I think they must. I think they have to change their approach in order to get hot again, in order to get on a run and secure that top wild card spot. Next question comes from Brando says, can you understand why Ozuna is consistently batting towards the middle of the lineup instead of somewhere around eighth or so? I prefer he'd not bat at all, rather have Grossman or Contreras, but that doesn't yet seem to be in the cards. I talked about Ozuna yesterday as well. 
I just don't think he belongs in this lineup right now. And I get, you look at his baseball savant page, there's a lot of red on there, which is good because he hits the ball hard when he makes contact. But when he's not, he just doesn't give you much. He doesn't give you speed. He's not a good base runner. And he swings and misses a ton. And I just think there's already a lot of that in this lineup. I would just like some versatility in there. And it's why I'm kind of advocating for Robbie Grossman to get at bats over him in the DH spot. Because at least Grossman doesn't chase it as much, puts the ball in play, doesn't swing his miss, swing and miss nearly as much. I would rather have him in there right now than what Ozuna is giving you. And he's been really bad for the past month or so. He's also capable of getting extremely hot and hitting a bunch of home runs. And I get that. And that's what this lineup is built for. But I do agree with you. If you're going to put him in the lineup, he needs to be batting no higher than seventh in the order. He needs to be in one of those final three spots where, you know, if you run into one in one of those spots, it's certainly great. But he doesn't need to be in key RBI situations batting, you know, fifth, sixth in the lineup. He needs to be, again, at the highest seventh, in my opinion. And they're going to put him in there just because simply of the money they're paying him. And because, like I said, he hits the ball hard when he makes contacts and can hit a bunch of home runs for you and get hot. He's going to be in the lineup, but I do agree. He needs to be batting no higher than seventh. All right, take a break here, answer some more of your questions, including some about more about the approach of the Braves, Brian Snicker, injured players, and lineup construction. We'll talk about that next. If you haven't tried Built Bar Puffs yet, you are depriving yourself of one of life's greatest joys. And they have a new flavor that you're going to love that includes cookie dough covered in chocolate. Let me introduce you to your new favorite, the Cookie Dough Chunk Puff. They have a light and chewy texture, real cookie dough chunks, and of course, they're covered in 100% real chocolate. All the joys of eating cookie dough without the hassle of making it, plus they are healthy for you. Cookie Dough Chunk Puffs are only 160 calories, and they have a whopping 15 grams of protein. Go to built.com today to snag a box for you and the family, or you can find a really great hiding place and just hoard them for yourself. What's great about Built Bar is that all of their bars are made with collagen protein, which your body absorbs more efficiently and provides tons of health benefits. Again, you're going to love the new cookie dough chunk puff, so go to built.com right now. Use our promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your order. Again, that's promo code LOCKED15 at built.com. Some more questions that I wanted to go over here. The next one coming from E. Goldie says, question for you, do players practice fouling balls off? Because it seems like the Mets were able to do that at will with two strikes, and more often than not, our guys get rung on called strike three when it is too close to take. That is, that is a great question. I have seen players practice fouling off balls before, I would say this is more so just an approach thing um, than anything else. For Mets hitters, a lot of them, they are shortening up their swing with two strikes in order to have a better chance of putting the bat on the ball. That's a change in approach, something that you certainly can practice. For the Braves players and for the Braves lineup that's built on offense, they're not shortening up anything. With two strikes, they are taking full hacks. And that's why they have the third highest exit, average exit velocity in baseball, because every time they swing, it is a swing for the fences. And again, you have to weigh the, the risk reward of that. And do you give up 
hitting some of those home runs in order to put the ball in play in order to foul off some pitches. We just don't see the Braves players do that. And a lot of the Mets players do the called their strikes that you mentioned. That to me is more frustrating. There are a lot of times when Braves players are just taking called third strikes that are borderline pitches. And I think we've seen enough now from umpires to know you cannot leave it in the hand of the umpires right or wrong. If you got two strikes and the pitch is close, you got to be swinging. You got to at least be trying to foul it off, do something with it. But the called third strikes are just frustrating. And I get it. I get it. Umpires aren't perfect. I've seen like a lot of those calls are going against the Braves that are borderline that are right on the edge. But you know, I know a lot of you don't like Brian Jordan as an as an announcer. He's not my favorite, but the one thing I do agree on him with is you got to swing at those pitches. You can't keep taking those pitches that are so close, that are so borderline. You can't put it in the umpire's hands, and that's where it becomes frustrating as a fan watching these Braves hitters take called third strikes on these borderline pitches. So that is something I think they definitely need to adjust on. But as far as fouling off pitches, that is an approach thing. And the Mets are giving up power in order to just cut down on their swing and foul off some of those pitches. It's something Braves hitters can do. They just choose not to because they believe in the home run ball and that if you swing as hard as you can every time, more often than not, it's going to give you a good result when you put the ball in play. Next question comes from Jordan Griff, who says, what are fair expectations for the returns of Kirby Yates, Ozzie Albies, and even Soroka? Have we seen the last of Soroka as a Brave? I'm answer that last question first. No, I don't think we've seen the last of Soroka as a Brave. I do think we see him at some point this year. I don't think at this point he's going to become any type of significant piece for the Atlanta Braves. I think most likely you'll see him in September, maybe come up and pitch in a couple of innings, uh, maybe out of even out of the bullpen. I think you just see him kind of get his feet wet this year, making a return, and then perhaps next year, maybe we see him back, hopefully fully healthy, and actually begin his full return to being a major league starter. But I think at this point, you can't count on Mike Soroka for much of anything. But I do think we see him as a Brave again. For Kirby Yates, I mean, he's looked really good. He had another clean outing on Saturday in Gwinnett. Um, I think he could be back really at any moment. I, I really don't. I really think the only thing holding him back now is just roster construction and roster limits. I've talked about this at the trade deadline. There's just not a lot of movement in the bullpen that you can make in order to free up a spot for Kirby Yates. I think Jackson Stevens is a the odd man out right now that you would perhaps have to DFA in order to make room for Kirby Yates. There's just not a lot of room to navigate on the roster at the moment for the Atlanta Braves. So, but I do think Kirby Yates is up sooner rather than later. He's looked really good in his rehab start. For Ozzie Albies, we haven't heard much. We thought maybe late August, and then it sounded like that timeline might get pushed back. I'm really concerned about Ozzie right now and the fact that when he does come back, I still believe he will come back this season, but he wasn't great before the injury. Now he's had all this time off. He's obviously going to be a little rusty. Can he get up to speed and back to the Ozzie Albies that we're used to seeing in time for the postseason? Now, look, I love what Orlando Arcee has done. I think he's been solid in his in his place for Ozzie, but make no mistake, I want Ozzie Albies in there whenever he is ready, and I do think he will be ready 
maybe sometimes toward the beginning of September. A couple of questions here from a uh, user who, who should not delicious on Twitter. Sorry, hopefully I'm saying that right. And hopefully I'm not saying anything inappropriate. Uh, he says, where will Kirby Yates fit in once he comes back to the bullpen? I think at first you'll see, you'll probably see him in a lower leverage situation in the sixth or seventh inning. And then if he gets back to the guy he was before, I think he feel, he fills in with that seventh, eighth inning role along with Iglesias and Mentor. Um, I think it, makes the game even shorter. It means you can go start in the sixth inning with Yates, Iglesias, Mentor, and then Jansen. I think he could potentially be one of those dominant back-end relievers. Again, if he's the, he's the guy that we've seen in the past, we just need to see him do it at the big league level. It's been over two years since he's pitched at the major league level, so we just need to see it first. But if he's that guy, then I think he will pitch in a high-leverage role. But, again, we need to see it first. We need to see him come up prove that he's healthy, prove that he's that guy, that he can be a dominant reliever at the big league level. Um, Fushin also asked, what is the status of Brian Snicker? Do you think it's possible he's freed of his responsibilities this year? And if not, what would it take? I'm asking this because of how little he has shown the ability to stand up for his players or argue calls on their behalf. I've seen this come up from a lot of Braves fans, so I wanted to address it. Brian Snicker is not going anywhere until Brian Snicker decides he wants to go somewhere, uh, which is into retirement, uh, which I think is the most likely scenario for when he no longer is manager of the Atlanta Braves. And I don't think that is going to be at the end of this year. Look, I'm, I'm with a lot of you. I get frustrated when he doesn't take up for his players, but everything you hear from the players, they love playing for this guy. So I don't think that matters as much to them as it does to us, the fan. But it does infuriate me like games where Spencer Strider is just clearly, I mean, there's every it's out of his control what he can do in that start because of the horrible calls from C.B. Buckner, and yet you get nothing from your manager taking up for your player. That does bug me. I don't know what it does to the players. Again, the players seem to love playing for him. And look, Brian Snicker is one of the best managers the Braves have ever had. You look at his resume and his win percentage and the division titles and World Series, there just aren't that many managers. So there's something great about what he's doing, but he's not going anywhere until he decides he's ready to hang things up. I mean, he is still a good manager who wins a lot of games and his players love playing for him. Is he the greatest tactician? Is he greatest with the bullpen? I don't think so. But again, you can't argue with the results on the field. So Brian Snicker's not going anywhere. Next question, does Von Grissom play any role in the contract that Dansby might receive? This is a great question. It's one we talked about in the offseason. And look, as great as Dansby has played this year, I'm still not willing to give him more than $15 million a year. And he may get more than that on the free agent market. If he does, I think there has to be a point where the Braves say, you know, that's enough. We have other players that we need to pay, Max Freed. And we have a guy in Von Grissom who we feel comfortable with. And look, Grissom's up at double A. I talked about it at the end of yesterday's podcast, and he is tearing it up at double A. If he continues to do that the rest of the season, I don't know that he'll make the jump straight to shortstop at the beginning of next season. But for sure, if he does that again to start next year and then gets moved up to triple A or they go the Michael Harris route 
and just bring him up if they feel like he's that kind of guy and he's ready for that jump, then I could see him taking over the shortstop position next year and perhaps you just sign a couple of veterans um, to kind of fill that void, maybe a Jose Iglesias, somebody like that, to kind of pair with him and kind of bridge that gap until Vaughn Grissom is ready. So I think it does give the Braves some leverage in those negotiations, knowing that they have somebody in Vaughn Grissom who they feel like could be ready pretty soon, perhaps by next year. I think that gives them a little leverage to to kind of draw a line with Dansby. And we all know Alex isn't going to go past what he feels comfortable with. I mean, he didn't do it for Freddie Freeman. He's not going to do it for Dansby Swanson. Swanson has the same agent as Freddie Freeman. So, look, as much as I do want Dansby back, I've gone on record in saying that. And, again, I'd be comfortable giving him as much as $15 million a year, but I would not go beyond that, and I would not go beyond five years at that mark. If Dansby wants more than that and he can get more than that, and I think he can, then I think you have to let him go and – Again, some of that will come down to how the Braves evaluate Von Grissom. Can he stick at shortstop defensively? Does his game translate to the major league level? And can he be ready soon? That's a lot of pressure on a young kid for a championship caliber caliber team to step into the shortstop position. But it does give the Braves a fallback option if they can't work things out with Dansby Swanson. And then final question here says, how would you structure the Braves lineup overall, both against righties and lefties? I love lineup construction. It's tough right now because you have the injury status of Travis Darno, Ozzy Albies obviously out. But with what you have right now against right-handed pitchers, it's Acuna, Swanson, Olsen, Riley. That's the top four, right or left. I think you can swap Riley and Olsen against lefties. But it's Acuna, Swanson, Olsen, Riley, Rosario, then either Contreras or TDA at catcher, and then either Contreras or Grossman at DH. I know that Grossman's better against left-handed pitching, and that's why they got him. But I've really liked his at-bats against right-handed pitching as well. And again, I just think you need some variety in this lineup, and I think Grossman can give you that. Then it's Arcia and Harris. Look, I know Snicker's been playing, at least over the weekend, he played Adrianza over Arcia against right-handed starters. I still want Arcia in there. I mean, his splits career-wise are about the same righty versus lefty. And this year he's hitting righties even better than he is lefties. And I like the defense that Arcia gives you. And Adrianza just honestly doesn't give you much. But I like Arcia. I want him in there every day right now until Ozzy Albies comes back. And then Michael Harris obviously hitting ninth. I understand the desire and there's some fans out there who want him to move up in the lineup. And I understand that, but I like where it, Harris gives you in that nine spot is kind of a second leadoff hitter to get on base for Acuna and Swanson. I feel like he's been comfortable there and I don't really want to mess up with that or mess with that. You know, next year you want to swap that up. That's fine. You want to move him up in the lineup. You can certainly do that. But I think for right now, you don't mess with a good thing. And he's been really good in that nine spot. Against left-handed pitching, it's Acuna, Swanson, Riley, Olsen, then Contreras or Travis Darno and then Grossman, and then Ozuna. Uh, You can put at the DH spot against lefties, even though he's been better against righties this year. But if you don't play him there, I don't know where you play Ozuna. And again, I have him in the seventh spot. I would not put him any higher than that. And then I have Arcia and Harris. So that's my lineup right now. The Braves lineup, I mean, really one through five, six is really solid. 
those last three spots, other than Harris, Harris is obviously good at the bottom. So it's really just a seven and eight spot. You kind of question each day out there. Um, but this Braves lineup still really good top to bottom. Just got to change the approach. Got to change the at-bats, and they can take off even more and get back in that postseason mindset, and I think they can do that. And it starts tonight as they take on the Boston Red Sox, a game they need to win, a series they need to sweep, another two-game series. I feel like we've had a ton of these this year. We'll talk about that next BetOnline.net is the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your betting needs. Find all your favorite sports and events at the number one online source for odds, lines, and games. Find reviews and news of every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and even golf. Did you know the NFL season is starting very soon? I didn't even realize that there were preseason games taking place this weekend. So NFL is right around the corner. And BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all your sport wagering information from live in-game betting, scores, and podcasts, they have you covered. So head to Bet Online today or use your mobile device to learn more about the action happening. Bet Online, where the game starts. The Braves and Red Sox start a two-game series on Tuesday night. The Red Sox are 54-56 and 56 overall. That's last in the AL East, the hardest division in all of baseball. The Red Sox have really been struggling lately, kind of played themselves out of the playoff picture. They were firmly in it, and then they went 9-21 and in their last 30 games, becoming somewhat sellers at the trade deadline. They did acquire Tommy Pham, and they really held serve with some of their other guys like J.D. Martinez, who are rumored to be on the trade market. But again, kind of fell out of postseason race. They've lost, they just lost three of four to the Royals, but they did win a series against the Astros before that. So, again, still some really good players here, some big league hitters. They have Devers with a 962 OPS, Xander Bogarts, perhaps, uh, perhaps a shortstop target for the Braves this offseason. He has an 839 OPS, and then the aforementioned JD Martinez, a 796 OPS, and Alex Verdugo in there as well. And he has killed the Braves in his career, slashing 328, 403, 5. 08 with two homers and five doubles in 16 games against the Braves. So watch out for Alex Verdugo in this one. The pitching matchup on Tuesday night, Charlie Morton versus Rich Hill. Last seven games for Charlie Morton, a 2.76 ERA, a 1.09 whip, averaging six innings per start, 48 strikeouts and 42 and a third innings. But he's just one and two in that stretch, which tells you that you can't rely on wins as a stat anymore, unfortunately. And he's getting absolutely no run support. He was brilliant his last time out against the Phillies. Six and two-thirds, three hits, one walk, two hit batters. Let's see him not hit anybody with that back foot curveball uh, in this game. And no earned runs and eight strikeouts. Rich Hill's last seven games, a 4-1-5 ERA, a 1-3-6 whip, 4.8 innings per start on average, 30 strikeouts and 34 and two-thirds innings. Three and two in that stretch, however, which again tells you why you can't look to wins as a stat. He hasn't made it out of the fifth inning in his past two starts. He doesn't strike out a lot of batters, not a high chase rate, not a high whip percentage. Should match up very well for this Braves offense to hopefully do some damage and pick up a lot of runs. This needs to be a win. This needs to be a series sweep. It's only two games against a struggling Red Sox team. Braves got to got to do something it's now or never no more playing around like i said this needs to be postseason baseball 
for the rest of the way. You can't play down to your competition. This is not a very good Red Sox team. They do have some major league hitters, like I said, but overall, this is not a good team. The Braves need to take advantage. They have to win both of these games. I mean, they just they need to win every game the rest of the way. I know that's not possible, but we need to see them playing good baseball, changing up their approach at the plate, having good at bats every time up there, up and down the lineup, and see them string some wins together and just really get on a roll going into the postseason. Even if they come back, can't come back and win the division, which I think is lost at this point, they need to just gain some momentum, start feeling better about themselves, having more confidence. They do have four games with the Mets next week, a chance to kind of rewrite what has happened, even if, again, they can't come back and win the division. From here on out, these last 52 games, it's all about getting in postseason mode, having better at-bats, a better approach at the plate, and having more confidence and getting that swagger back for a team that just won the World Series. That's what I'm watching for the rest of the way. That's what I'll be watching for on Tuesday night. That'll do it for this episode of Locked On Braves. Thank you for making Locked On Braves your first listen of the day. Now go make a Locked On MLB your second listen, where MLB expert Paul Francis Sullivan brings humor, passion, and a unique perspective on every team and the biggest stories around the league. Again, thanks for listening, and be sure to follow us on Twitter at Locked On underscore Braves. You can follow me at shortstopball. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to the Locked On Braves podcast wherever you get your podcast, and we will talk to you next time. Hey, this is Stacy Gotsoulias. DC Lundberg. Ryan Finkelstein. Taylor Blake Ward. Host of Locked On Yankees. Locked On Mariners. Locked On Mets. Locked On Angels. And you're listening to Locked On Braves. Locked On Braves. Locked On Braves. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. 